This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Over the past few years, cryptocurrencies have gained widespread attention for its decentralized nature, technological potential, and also because many assume that it's a good way to make a quick buck. However, Cryptocurrencies have also been associated with illegal and highly unethical activities, including money laundering and financing terrorism. But how exactly does that work? I'm Dashran Johan, and this is Today I Learned. Joining me on the show today to provide some perspective is Raymond Ram. He's a certified fraud examiner at Grey Matter Forensic Advisory. Welcome to the show, Raymond. Thank you for having me, Dashran. How do cryptocurrencies play a role in money laundering and financing terrorism? Now, let me just put things into context first. Mm -hmm. Money laundering is the concealment of origins of illegally obtained money, typically by means of transfers involving foreign banks or legitimate businesses. Whereas terrorism financing is the collection of provision of funds for terrorist purposes. Now, right. cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other alternate coins enable transactions without the need for an intermediary like a bank. This provides a level of anonymity that can be exploited for illegal purposes. Now, this feature, of course, has attracted criminals and terrorists who use cryptocurrencies to facilitate money laundering and terrorism financing due to the pseudo-anonymous uh, nature of most of these cryptocurrencies. And it's now becoming very, very difficult for law enforcement agencies to trace the movement of these funds and connect them to real-world entities. Right. I think you just touched on it a little bit, but I want to press further. How do cryptocurrencies um, differ from traditional financing systems in terms of uh, money laundering and terrorist financing? Now, cryptocurrencies and traditional financial systems differ in several ways, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, while both systems can be exploited for illicit purposes, the characteristics of cryptocurrency can present unique challenges compared to traditional systems. Now, let me just touch on a few. First part here would be anonymity, right. or someone would some would say pseudo-anonymity, because cryptocurrencies often provide high degree of anonymity compared to other traditional financial systems. Here is because many cryptocurrencies, especially privacy-focused coins like Monero or Zcash, have built-in privacy features that can make it difficult to trace transactions and identify its users. Now, in traditional financial systems like banks or other financial institutions, they are required, strictly required to conduct know your customer or even other AML CFD checks, which make it easier for them to track and monitor suspicious activities. Even though we have seen regulators step in to ensure crypto exchanges conduct the required due diligence exercises, we do not see this being a matter of uniformity at the moment across jurisdictions yet. So I also would like to touch on another point, which is decentralization. So cryptocurrencies operate, obviously, on a decentralized network, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, decentralized finance or DeFi, which means that they are not controlled by a central authority like a bank or government, right? So this makes it harder to enforce regulations and oversight as there is no one single focal point here. Traditional financial systems are centralized and is subject to strict regulatory frameworks and it'd be easier to trace transactions in centralized networks per se, right? Besides mm -hmm. that, we have problems with cross-border transactions. Of course, accessibility when it comes to cryptocurrencies are relatively easy compared to other forms of financials, finances, right? And like I said just now, regulatory channel challenge will continue to be an issue as we go forward as different regions have not adopted the proper policies required 
by especially uh, you know, crypto exchanges and whatnot. Why do you use the word pseudo-anonymity? Okay, by the end of the day, when we say anonymity, you mm-hmm. are basically de-identifying or you are declassifying something else. So you cannot reconstruct it back to where it actually came from or the, the identity cannot be reconstructed back. Pseudo-anonymity here is that a, a person's identity would be reflected in a form of code, in a form of uh, address, which can later on be uh, converted back to their identity. The issue is often we do not know the exact identity and they will only be able to do it on their own or only the exchanges will be able to do it with the records that they have. Right. So let's dive into um, some of the methods used, right? Because like you said, um, you, there is still a, a sort of a way to trace um, um, certain ad- addresses. Um, you have digital wallets and, and so on and so forth, but yet it's not it's not it's it's a huge challenge, right? So, what are some of the common methods used um to launder money or finance terrorism with cryptocurrencies? Well, there's many different methods being used. I mean, mm-hmm. criminals can can use online exchanges, peer-to-peer platforms, or even cryptocurrency ATMs to exchange their illicit funds for cryptocurrencies. Now, in Malaysia, for example, there have been reports of criminals using cryptocurrency ATMs, right? And of course, right. the SC has has put their foot down and said and reiterated that such ATMs can only be operated by those licensed uh, DAX or digital asset exchanges, right? So once funds have been converted, criminals can use uh, techniques such as layering, structuring, or even exploiting these the other forms of decentralized finance platforms to obscure the origin of funds before converting them back into traditional currencies per se. Right. Um. So how do criminals typically convert illicit funds into cryptocurrencies and then back into traditional currencies. And I'm also wondering, right, because, um, you know, e- even without cryptocurrency, um, terrorism financing, um, you know, money laundering and, and all of these are, are, are still happening. So how does, uh, you know, what, what differs in the way uh, criminals use cryptocurrencies versus traditional fiat? I mean, end of the day, there's many ways of doing this. So first, right. first and foremost, probably the cryptocurrency exchanges, right? So criminals can use both centralized and decentralized exchanges to buy cryptocurrency with fiat currency. They may use stolen or false identification documents to bypass the not so rigid KYC AML checks that are in place at the moment, right? So we've got to right. make sure that these, these controls are properly uh, put in. The other means would be P2P platforms or over-the-counter trading. Right, criminals can use P2P platforms or these uh, over-the-counter tradings uh, either directly from other individuals or potentially bypassing identification verification requirements. And like I said just now, even Bitcoin ATMs. Some criminals may use Bitcoin ATMs, which allows users to buy and sell cryptocurrencies using cash per se. And later on, once it's converted, you can reconvert it back. Right? Mm. Because if you follow the whole money laundering process, displacement, right. layering, integration. Reconverting it back, it becomes a bit more easier once you have lost the trail. Once you have lost the, um, you're unable, once law enforcement especially is unable to trace the sources of funds or where it came from in the beginning. Yeah. Right. Um, Raymond, I just want to pivot and ask a bit of a big picture question. Uh, and then before we, you know, go back to the nitty gritty, are we in a, in a juncture right now where, you know, people are realizing that 
you know, cryptocurrencies could be a double-edged sword. Um, because at one point, you know, it was just all the rage and people were talking about how this is the currency of the future, how decentralizing from banks are a good thing because it, it uh, democratizes financing. Um, it gives individual more control over their, their finances, you know, without, you know, the, the big banks and, and governments watching over you like that. And already, I think we, we, we have to come to terms that this is here to stay, right? right? Cryptocurrency is here to stay. The blockchain technology can be adopted in many different uh, in many different industries per se due to the fact that it's a distributed ledger, right? So okay. there's many ways of doing things. Like you said, it's, it decentralizes things, right? And and already, uh, once we accept that cryptocurrencies are here to stay, we can see now that uh, international bodies, global organizations are looking into matters of recommendations of what can be done so that it does not get exploited, right? Like any form of new technology, it will be exploited. It is mm -hmm. a double-edged sword, right? So, and we have seen time and time again, various cases, especially those uh, that are performed on the dark web. Right. It uses cryptocurrency, right? And, and the, the reason it's, it's widely used is because, like I said, many jurisdictions have not adopted the right or the strict uh, AML CFT compliance procedures yet. And once we do not have uniformity across regions and different countries do not follow the, the recommendations, especially the FATF recommendations for my laundering and whatnot, we will not be able to curb uh, criminal activity which are done using such, uh, such uh, I mean, cryptocurrencies and whatnot. Right. Are there any policies that are currently in place to curb criminals from using cryptocurrencies for illegal activities? Okay, so what happens is this. When we talk mm -hmm. about AML, anti-mine laundering, right? Right. Anti-mine laundering, anti-terrorism financing. Uh, we also have an act in Malaysia, Amla 4, 2001. Right. Now, we have, first we have to understand that we have the international body known as Financial Action Task Force or the right. FATF. They are the ones that come up with recommendations for state countries to adopt into legislation and to ensure all reporting institutions perform their tasks as gatekeepers right. to make sure that, you know, uh, their, their, their businesses or either the services that they provide are not used as conduits for money laundering. Of course, Malaysia being a member state of the FATF, we have, got, have adopted most of the recommendations that are required. And one of which, if you look at I mean, we do have policies in Malaysia. We have policies to, to deal with virtual assets. I believe it was also um, established and published in, back in 2018 by right. Bandagara Malaysia. Now, this these mandates, of course, regulates customer due diligence. I need to know who I'm doing business with. Also mandates ongoing transaction monitoring. So if there's any suspicious transactions, I need to pick it up and make a report to Bandagara. Right? So they right. being the competent authority. I need to make reports of any suspicious activity. And of course, from there on, investigations will be done for the identification of what was the serious offense that was behind the act of money laundering. Because money laundering only takes place if there is a serious offense. Right. Okay, we call it predicate offense or serious offense. Uh, if, For example, if an act of bribery takes place, now the, the source of corruption, that monies that come in, need to be laundered. Mm -hmm. And how can it be laundered? Cryptocurrency can be one of the mechanisms to be used. Right. right. You can you can convert those monies into crypto, uh, uh, put it through different technologies like I believe like like tumblers, mixers, and whatnot. Lose the trace of funds and later on reconvert it back to assets in in the in the criminal's pocket. You see.
On the show with me today is Raymond Ram. He's a certified fraud examiner at Grey Matter Forensic Advisory. After the break, I ask him what are some of the key challenges and risks associated with detecting and preventing money laundering and terrorist financing involving cryptocurrencies. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Raymond Ram. He's a certified fraud examiner at Grey Matter Forensic Advisory. And we're talking about cryptocurrencies and how they're used to finance illegal activities. So Raymond, as far as I know, there are certain sort of, um, let's say, when, when you want to, if any of us want to get on certain platforms and, and do trading, they will ask you for, for certain verification. Sometimes they will ask you to take a photo in front of your IC and so on and so forth. Are these good policies? Yes, I mean, uh, we have already established, like I said, uh, even Ben and Malaysia has come mm -hmm. up with policy documents. If you are a licensed exchange, you right. are required to conduct KYC uh, anytime you're onboarding a new customer and the KYC process does not stop there. It needs right. to go on as ongoing monitoring right. in case there are any suspicious transactions. Now, the, the thing is this, when, you do, when we do KYC, there is a risk management approach mm -hmm. because I need to know who I'm doing business with. In that sense, I will also classify them according to a risk parameter. So if right. they are of higher risk, I will need to conduct an enhanced customer due diligence. I would require more documents. I would ask more questions on where the source of funds is from, right? And from mm -hmm. there on, my monitoring on these clients' accounts, which have been classified high, as high risk, will be more thorough compared, compared to the rest. So we have a risk management approach already instituted within licensed exchanges. And they are required to follow these uh, different uh, mechanisms that, that has been instructed. So these are definitely good policies. Then again, we have issues with anything, any new technology that comes about, right? We have KYC and now we are moving towards eKYC, mm -hmm. which is electronic, know your customer. Because, uh, I mean, COVID has showed us that digitalization is inevitable. You need, we, need to, we need to embrace as much a digitalization as possible. So eKYC has become a thing. We see challenges with false identification. Um, if verification is not done, those information can be proved to be you know, fraudulent and whatnot. But it's a work in progress that I see that there is light at the end of the tunnel, but it needs global consensus between different countries as well. Right? right. Partnerships, global consensus, uniformity between, com uh, between countries when it comes to compliance mechanisms that have been put in. Talk to me about some other key challenges and risks associated with detecting and preventing money laundering and, and terrorism financing when it comes to cryptocurrencies, right? You talked about how um, there are strong policies. Um, even Bank Nagara has some um, when it comes to legal sort of um, crypto platforms, right? But yep. we are on the internet. People, even things that are perhaps like when government comes in and bans certain websites and, and certain and whatnot, you can get, get around them using VPN and, and you don't even need to be like this huge tech genius, right? Anybody can do it. It takes like five seconds. So to, to get past a lot of these uh, certain government blocks and whatnot. So uh, talk to me about some of the other key challenges and risks associated with detecting these um, sort of criminal activities using crypto. Yeah, you brought up a very interesting fact, actually. Mm -hmm. you, you can bypass any form of control nowadays on the internet, 
right? right? Using VPNs and whatnot. We even we didn't even bring up the fact that the dark web is also so widely used at the moment. Right. right? The dark web, anyone could download the, uh, the Tor browser, for example, and go on the dark web. It's just that once you have something like the dark web, which provides anonymity, right? You see a lot of illegal activities taking place. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, cryptocurrency is being exchanged for those illegal activities, right? right? So, of course, one of the con- few concerns that I could think of when we talk about uh, the challenges and risks associated to, to my laundering and mm-hmm. when it comes to cryptocurrency, anonymity is number one, definitely, right? So, and, uh, and we also have privacy-based coins like Monero and Zcash, which, which are built for secrecy, right? Besides right. the famous Bitcoins, Ethereum and whatnot, mm-hmm. right? And decentralization, like you said just now, could be a double-edged sword. Right when when you when emerging technology comes in, we want to control it, and it's decentralized. It becomes a bit more tougher. Right. Okay. And now, of course, uh, cross-border transactions are much faster. The regulatory challenges that we face, like I said, in the form of uniformity between uh, cross jurisdiction and the different laws that we have, is a continuous challenge. Uh, but then again, one thing that I could see uh, being when we say double-edged sword, there mm-hmm. is a positive to all this. Right. Because as we adopt the blockchain more and we, we tend to move into fin- uh, decentralized financing, right? The blockchain is transparent. And right. anyone could access the blockchain. It's just that when we have firm KYC procedures done, firm AML uh, controls in place, I can identify which wallet belongs to who. So with the wallet ID, I could identify who is transacting to which party, how are they transacting to another. I could see the whole, it could paint me a whole audit trail. Or right. where transactions are going and whatnot, which is which is great, but the problem is we do not we are not able to now identify yet which wallet ID belongs to who, and that can only happen when proper KYC procedures are in place, proper AML controls are, are in place and whatnot. To touch on the certain technologies out there which are also making things a bit more tougher, uh, these are things like mixers or tumblers. What are those? Yeah, so without getting too technical <laughs> on that, right? So these are third-party services which right. anonymize cryptocurrency transactions. What happens is it pulls multiple transactions together and then redistributes the funds. So now your to trace where the transactions came from becomes an issue, right? right? So it makes it difficult to trace the origin and of course the destination of the funds as well. And the use of mixes and tumblers complicates the task of law enforcement agencies, regulators, trying to identify that flow within the blockchain. Where from where did this uh, this particular payment come from? Which wallet ID did it originate from? Becomes a big problem because this mixes and tumblers pulls all transactions together and redistributes it out. So that that's one of the key challenges we see with these new technologies that are coming to play. You brought up a couple of coins uh, earlier. Do we know which ones um, are top favorites by by terror organizations and whatnot? And the reason I ask is because cryptocurrencies are sprouting like mushroom, right? If you go to coin market cap, it's an endless scroll of cryptocurrencies. It starts from Bitcoin and then you can go all the way and it's hundreds and hundreds. Um, you know, some are based on genuine technology while others are just random meme coins, Doge coins. What, what not, and, and all of these things, right? Do we know which ones are more commonly used by criminals? And do these entities and, and individuals care whether a cryptocurrency is based on real technology or if it's a, just a meme coin? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting <laughs> question. And already, I think, based on my own research, that right. there's no way to determine which coins are more exploited than the right. other, right? Because... Uh, w- one more commonly used by uh, criminals or terror organizations is a challenging task to see because end of the day, we would want to see 
which coins are more accepted, more right. accepted in the market. The well-established cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum may be favored due to their widespread acceptance, ease of use and liquidity, mm -hmm. right? Because what criminals want is something that's accepted worldwide, easy for them to liquid at any time, right? And of right. course, uh, people know how to use them and already. And uh, however, it is crucial to note that criminals may, may turn into privacy-focused cryptocurrencies. These are the ones I mentioned just now, like Monero and Zcash, mm -hmm. which offers enhanced anonymity to some extent and could make it a bit more difficult for law enforcement to trace. Right. Yeah. Are there any international efforts, Raymond, or, or collaborations among countries to combat cryptocurrency-related uh, money laundering and, and terrorist financing? Sure. I think I, I mentioned about the FATF right. earlier, right? So Correct. basically, uh, international efforts to combat cryptocurrency-related money laundering or terrorism financing include those that are given by the FATF and that provides policy recommendations, guidance to its member countries, right? So the FATF has released uh, guidance on virtual assets and virtual asset service providers, or we call it for short, WASPs, mm -hmm. right? To address risks associated with cryptocurrencies. And of course, additionally, countries need to collaborate share intelligence through bilateral, multilateral agreements and whatnot to tackle the issue. Like I said before, it is only when we have compliance being uniform across the board, across jurisdiction, and we see countries adopting what is being recommended by FETF, will we see light at the end of the tunnel, right? What then mm -hmm. we will see control being put in place, ease of detection uh, putting, being put in place and whatnot. At the moment, when we do not have such things, you can see... Uh, cryptocurrency being used for for many different activities, right? Right. So, yeah. Right. And can you share some real-life examples of case studies of crypto-related money laundering or terrorist financing activities? Sure. I mean, the, the most uh, the famous, most notable right. one I, I think of is Silk Road, right? Mm -hmm. Silk Road is it's the a, it's a first uh, drug trafficking, uh, first uh, illegal entity that was posed on the dark web, right? An right. online marketplace, facilitated trade of illegal goods services using Bitcoin, right? And the uh, platform's founder was arrested, convicted uh, in his involvement in the marketplace, which generated close to about 9.5 million Bitcoins in revenue. Wow. Right, so that, that's that's a lot. And right. if you look at other case studies, we could look at BTC e-exchange, uh, where this happened in the US, and we had I've seen the my laundering worth up to about 4 billion in, in the US. Right. And terrorist financing activities where the OFAC, or the Office of Foreign Assets Control in the US had to sanction two individuals because they were using a cryptocurrency basically to manage ransom payments. We saw the rise of ransomware attacks, right? Mm -hmm. So ransomware payments as well had been managed through cryptocurrency. And we can see not only money laundering, terrorism financing being exploited in the same, same context, per se. And are we seeing a, a sort of widespread use of cryptocurrency for criminal, illegal, terrorism financing, and so on and so forth? Um, are, are we at a, at a juncture that is um, that worries you? Uh, in my point of view, again, Mal mm -hmm. Malaysia has not accepted crypto as a legal tender. Right. The but then again, uh, our law enforcement needs to be ready. Right. Uh, my engagement with law enforcement, I've seen law enforcement agencies, uh, some of which who are quite equipped Right, they are looking into uh, what are the risks when it comes to uh, what when it comes to cryptocurrency. What are types of investigations that can be carried out? There are now tools available for you to scan through the blockchain to look into transactions and whatnot. It, we we need a faster pace in that sense. I mean that law enforcement agencies would continue to develop, but they need to develop with the uh, with the right technologies, right tools being put in place, 
governments would need to start investing in such tools, in such um, infrastructure per se, where law enforcement can carry out their work. Besides that, again, uh, regulation, legislation often comes after we see something uh, something new, right. after we see new technologies come about. So we can't escape that. But we've got to learn from uh, countries that which have adopted such measures. What are their use cases? What are their... Uh, I mean, there are prote- preventive measures which had worked, right? right. And not to not to mention, uh, even with the issue of money laundering, we need our judiciary, our courts, and all of our legal system to be to be able to cope with later on investigations when it comes to this, right? Because uh, a lot of uh, criminal activity are later on uh, going to use such mechanisms to hide where the source of funds is from, and also to hide their criminal activity, you see. Right. Um. You know, sometimes, right, when when we when we get news about government interventions in in cryptocurrency, um, whether it's in Malaysia, all over the world, you know, when they ban certain platforms and so on and so forth, it is seen as an unpopular move, right? In a time where people want to, you know, want currencies to be decentralized, people, or in a time where people are wary about government interventions and and so on and so forth. But but do you think that the the regular uh, the the people need to have a mindset shift when it comes to this, and that government regulation could actually be beneficial for whoever that uses cryptocurrency, crypto platforms, and so on and so forth, because of these issues you're, that you have highlighted on this show, right? No, end of the day, I mean, like any unpopular legislation that comes right. through, we we may not see the effects straight away. Mm-hmm. But if you even if you look at uh, where Malaysia is at the moment with the amount right. of scams that are taking place, fraud scams and whatnot, gov- I mean, regulators have to step in, step in and make controls a bit more a bit more stringent. And mm-hmm. day, even though it makes it a bit more tougher, maybe for the users, but you would see that we cannot have a environment where scams are happening every single day. Right, we have money's going missing here and there. Right. Uh, bank accounts losing their funds. So I, I think uh, we need to have such controls, but you need to balance also between regulation controls and also they will come up into privacy issues and whatnot. Right. right. So again, uh, it may be unpopular moves, but it's moves that are required because crypto is here to stay. It's as simple as that. But how are governments going to adopt it? How are different industries going to adopt some of its technologies? It is left to be seen. Right. So perhaps you can give some suggestions, right? What are some of the best practices for cryptocurrency exchanges and other businesses dealing with crypto to prevent exactly what we've been talking about, money laundering and terrorism financing? I mean, to address the challenges posed by this particular technology, by cryptocurrencies per se, mm-hmm. right? Governments, businesses and users should collaborate, right? In a comprehensive approach, it should, it, it is best to have some sort of public, uh, public-private partnership Right, where we could uh, be keep in tune with such emerging technologies, latest threat vectors, and what's happening on the ground. Right, so of course, other recommendations that I could think of would be strengthening regulatory frameworks to ensure cryptocurrency-related service providers are subject to proper AML CFT requirements. Fostering international cooperation because we can see this does not talk about borders anymore. It's it's cross borders. You need to have proper partnerships and uh, dealings between country to country. Encouraging innovation in compliance technologies, not only for compliance side, but also for law enforcement to adopt the tools, uh, softwares out there which are available so that we are more in tune of how to conduct proper investigation when it comes to this. Uh, educating users about the risk, like what we are doing now, I believe it. We, people need to have conversations about this. They need to right. understand the whole mechanism behind it. Only then you could make 
the right decisions, whether to go in, whether to use technology or whatnot, because it is here to stay. And Absolutely. lastly, I would like to also highlight uh, striking a balance between privacy and security, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, uh, when we look at it, regulatory measures must not stifle the innovation, but also we got to always think about the privacy of individuals. Because yeah. if you, if you, when we talk too much about privacy, we may, criminals may find other forms or other means to now conduct by laundering or terrorism financing activities. Absolutely. And before we wrap this conversation up, Raymond, um, where do we go from here? Given that we are in a very interesting juncture, yeah. at least from my vantage point, right? We are moving, like you said, we cannot, it is all, it's becoming increasingly difficult or impossible to stop this whole cryptocurrency sort of a movement. It's becoming more popular. Generally, yeah. a lot of people like it. It's here to stay, whether we like it or not. So where do we go from here? Now, tech-savvy criminal organizations, or I mean, I would say all criminal organizations may prefer decentralized finance or DeFi, right? Mm -hmm. To transfer their Ill illegal funds. Since DeFi isn't as regulated as centralized uh, financial institutions at the moment, it's easier for users to evade detection. Now, right. users need to interact with uh, decentralized exchanges and decentralized uh, crypto lending sites, of course. So proper regulation, proper compliance mechanisms need to be put in place. Now, some my launderers have, have also begun uh, using, you know, play to earn video games or NFTs, non-fungible tokens that are purchased through cryptocurrency. And research firm Chainalysis, if, if, if you are more interested in understanding what is the current state of things, you can look at Chainalysis reports and you can see that about 1 million is being uh, laundered per quarter. I mean, this is based on their latest, latest findings. Right. And criminals may use high-end NFTs from crypto punks to high uh, funds going forward, right? We haven't even mm -hmm. brought up the issue of maybe metaverse coming to play. Right. So metaverse comes to play, you have transactions mostly being done through crypto. So I, th that's that's how we see things going forward. And on that note, Raymond, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. That was Raymond Ram, Certified Fraud Examiner at Grey Matter Forensic Advisory. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You just have to look up Today I Learned Podcasts. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.